Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. I was listening to the, the news yesterday morning, and I heard about this really bad storm in Tokyo, Japan. Did you guys hear about this? It was a really bad typhoon. <clears throat> supposed to be like the worst typhoon that Japan has seen in like 60 years. And apparently everyone went to the store kind of last minute and bought all kinds of supplies. You know, you do this too, don't you? When the forecast is for a hurricane or a blizzard or something, you, you run to ShopRite or to Walmart or something and we buy up all the bread and the milk <laughs> and the Cheetos, you know, everything that you need for a storm. And, uh, you know, if you live down south, you do that every time there's even some flurries, right? But not, not everyone is like this. Not everyone prepares at the last minute for disaster. There are these people that we call doomsday preppers. You heard of these people? Maybe you're one of them. These people are the ones that are bound and determined to survive a nuclear holocaust or a zombie apocalypse or whatever, fill in the blank. And they are not going to wait till the last minute. They are preparing right now. I came across this website this week called skilledsurvival.com. Here was their tagline. Here at Skilled Survival, we plan for the worst and hope for the best. I was reading their free 78-item preppers checklist. It's actually pretty interesting, right, to think about, you know, what if the cell phone towers go down? What if the heat's gone? What if you have no way of preparing yourself food or clean water? These sorts of things. But don't worry, I'm not becoming a prepper. Because we tend to think preppers are a little unusual, don't we? We think they're a little paranoid, uh, if not downright crazy. We make reality TV shows about them and we watch their obsession of preparation with fascination. But as it turns out, this, this idea of preparing for doomsday is not a new phenomenon. Today, as we look at, at Genesis chapter 6, we're going to study about the first doomsday prepper, Noah. Noah was the first one to prepare for doomsday. And And this man, Noah, started a century-long building project. Think about how crazy this sounds. Like, if you hadn't grown up hearing this in your children's Bible, this guy spent 100 years, approximately, building a giant boat. Or actually, last time I used the word boat, I was corrected. It's a ship, right? The Navy guy said amen there, right? He was building a giant ship or ark, to save himself, his family, and all the species on the earth from a coming worldwide flood. And all of this, get this, because God told him to. But being a a doomsday prepper is not crazy if you're actually following God's instructions for how to be saved. In fact, my contention to you this morning is that we should all, in some sense, be preparing for doomsday, like Noah. 
And don't, if you don't walk out right now and, and go home and apply that by building a boat, stick around for the rest of the sermon. We're going to unpack that here in just a minute. We too have received instructions about how to be saved from a coming destruction that is going to come upon the earth. And so, as, we're, as we kind of step through this story here, the first thing that we see is that God graciously warns and instructs before he destroys. God graciously warns and instructs before he destroys. Uh, first, we're reminded in verses 11 and 12. The text says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. We've been talking about this for several weeks now. I don't need to go into it with a lot of depth, but I just wanted to reemphasize here that, that God's judgment is never arbitrary. It's never capricious in any way. To the contrary, the Lord is abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Right? He is slow to anger. In fact, he's much more patient than any man or woman on this earth. Long after you and I would be pulling our hair out, you know, going crazy, uh, just frustrated with somebody, the Lord continues to be patient, to be slow to anger. But not only that, we also read in the word that God is just, and he will not let the guilty go unpunished, right? But thankfully, God in his grace, he always warns and he instructs before he brings judgment. And so secondly, we see here that God graciously warns Noah that judgment is coming. Look at verse 13. It says, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So Noah, you know, gets some pretty high praise throughout this passage here in Genesis chapter 6. I don't know if you noticed that as Rich read it a few moments ago. Noah gets some pretty high praise. He's called a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and it's said of him that he walked with God. Make no mistake, though, Noah's righteousness sprung from God's grace through faith. Right? So God, in other words, God wasn't looking out over the earth and, and, and looking out and saying, wow, who is it that really impresses me? in his own righteousness. No, Noah's no different than you and I. Noah was a, a son of Adam and Eve. He was a, a sinful man. He had a sinful, corrupt nature. And if God looked out at him and saw righteousness in him, it's because God had been working in and through him to have faith. And God then reckons that faith as righteousness. This is a, a timeless spiritual principle that we see in both the New and the Old Testament. It's often said that the righteous shall live by faith. That's a direct quote from the Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.4. And it's a quote that is then taken up in the New Testament in Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11 and Hebrews 10.38. The righteous shall live by faith. When God looks at someone, he doesn't look at their own righteousness, but he looks at their heart and sees faith and is pleased in and through the faith not in and through that person's own righteousness. So Noah is a great example to us of walking by faith, not by sight. But 
never forget that Noah was a sinner too. If you really want to kind of cheat ahead in this story and look ahead into to Genesis chapter 9, you're going to see Noah knocked off of a pedestal. If you're tempted to put Noah up on a pedestal, the Bible knocks him down for you. Right? If you look ahead in Genesis chapter 9, we see that after the flood, Noah grows a vineyard and he makes some wine from the, the grapes of that vineyard. And then he proceeds to get so drunk that he exposes himself and then passes out in his tent. Right? So if you need some proof that Noah is a sinful man, then, then you need to look no further than the book of Genesis. The Bible is, is careful to soil all of our heroes except for one. Right? All of our biblical heroes, if, if we get to read enough about them, we come to see the, the sinful nature in them. There's only one in the scriptures who is completely spotless, and that is Jesus Christ. Still, with that said, Noah is held out to us in scripture as part of a, a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us that teach us that walking by faith in God's promises, walking by faith and not by sight, is worth it. Noah's part of that great cloud of witnesses that teaches us that walking by faith is worth it and that God is trustworthy. And so God graciously warned the one man left on earth who was walking by faith. Hebrews 11:7 says, "By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household." And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. God warns the man of faith, who then in reverent fear begins to act in faith upon the specific instructions that God gave him to avoid this disaster. And then thirdly, we, we see here that God instructs Noah specifically how to escape judgment. Look at verse 14. This is God speaking. He says, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make yourself an ark. God says, make an ark and you will survive the flood. And then he goes on to tell Noah very specific instructions about how to construct this ark. The ark was to be made of a specific kind of wood. We don't know a lot about gopher wood. We don't know what, it, what kind of wood it was. The ark was to be waterproofed inside and out with pitch. He was to build the ark with a specific kind of roof that, that kept the rain out and let the light in. There was to be a specific location for the door on the side of the ark. And Noah was, was told to make the ark with a lower, middle, and upper deck and to have lots of, of little rooms in there to keep all the animals and food organized. And the ark was to be made with some specific dimensions. It was to be 300 cubits by 50 cubits by 30 cubits. I don't know about you, but I don't have a cubit measuring stick in my garage or anything. Uh, but scholars will tell us that a cubit is roughly 18 inches. So you can do the calculation here. That would make the ark to be about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and about 45 feet high. So to kind of put that in perspective, 
450 feet long is about one and a half football fields. So you can kind of picture that. Quite an amazing feat uh, for the ancient world. In fact, one commentator, James Boyce, he said uh, of these dimensions that this would easily have made the ark, quote, greater than the size of any ancient sailing vessel. In fact, it was not until 1858 that a vessel of greater length was constructed. Our church was founded in 1840. A bigger boat than Noah's Ark was not constructed until after our church was founded. Think about that. Boyce then goes on to say that it can be shown through simulated tests in water that a box-like structure of the Ark's dimensions is exceedingly stable. Indeed, almost impossible to capsize. How would Noah or anyone else at that time know how to construct such a large, seaworthy craft except by revelation? God gave Noah very specific instructions. God graciously warned Noah and he graciously instructed him how to be saved. And then secondly here we see that God promises to save Noah. Look at verses 17 and 18. For behold, this is the Lord still speaking, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. God made a promise to Noah. He made a a covenant with him. So God warns Noah of the worldwide destruction. He instructs him on how specifically to be saved, and then he seals it all with his promise. For Noah, heeding God's warning and and following his instructions is going to require a couple things. It's going to re- require around 100 years of walking by faith and not by sight. Right? It's going to require probably facing ridicule and opposition as he's constructing this giant ark in the midst of a, of a depraved generation. I mean, you can just picture people coming up to Noah and say, saying, so Noah, what are you doing? You know, what, what is this, this large structure I see on the horizon here? And Noah, for 100 years, having to answer to them, hey, doomsday is coming. There's a flood coming. And we can only imagine the ridicule and the scorn that that Noah must have faced because of that. Not to mention, beyond all that, just the the extreme effort it would take to build a big boat. I've never really built anything, I mean, <laughs> let alone a big boat. I just can't imagine, you know, constructing something of, of this size over such a long period of time. I mean, wouldn't you grow weary of doing it? It seems like such an impossible task. And all that while, what does Noah have to cling to? He clings to the promise of God to save him. He clings to the promises of God. He finds hope in the promises of God that he and his family and many of the animals will be saved according to God's word. Those who heed the warning instruction of God on how to be saved are not wishing or hoping upon a star. It's not a vain hope. We are anchoring our hopes 
in an unchangeable, unchanging God. <coughs> Thirdly, the last thing I want you to notice here <coughs> is that when God calls, He empowers. When God calls, He empowers. You know, God goes on here in this uh, narrative to instruct Noah to bring onto the boat. You guys know this. Every child, nursery child, knows this, that, that the animals came on the boat two by two, right? That God instructed him to bring two of every sort or kind of animal onto the ark. And as we hear about this, not only, not only bringing on all these different sorts of animals, but also it was required that Noah bring on enough food to feed those animals, Right? And we, we often think of the Noah's Ark 40 days and 40 nights of, of the flood, right? But yet Noah was actually on the boat for 150 days as, it, as the water swelled up and then 150 days as it went down. It was over a year before he came off of, the, off of the ark. So he had to have enough food to feed some of every kind of animal on earth for over a year. And it just seems like such an overwhelming task, <coughs> such an impossible thing. Yet we read here in verse 20, if you look down at verse 20, that Noah had God's help in this. It wasn't something that he did in his own strength. Actually, I was reading this passage with my kids this week, and they pointed this out to me. Verse 20, it says, uh, Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of creeping things, of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. It seems like here that God is going to actually send Noah the animals that he would have him to put on the ark. This is, is something that seems so impossible, and yet it's something that God is helping him with. I believe that God sent the right creatures Noah's way, and the ones God didn't want to survive the flood, he didn't send his way. When God calls, God empowers God had asked Noah to do something impossible, yet the Almighty God is backing him up with a covenant promise, and he will see that it's accomplished. You know, the, the Bible tells us that, that Noah's ark came to rest on Mount Ararat in uh, modern-day Turkey. Right, you guys know, probably know that. But apparently these days, the best, the best place to see Noah's ark is in southwest Ohio. <laughs> You guys heard about this? There's a, there's a creation museum and, and uh, a modern-day Noah, a modern-day nut, I guess you could say, built a life-size replica of Noah's Ark out there for you to see. And I, I just bring that up because I want you to know that if you have, as you read this kind of thing, as you read these kinds of stories in the book of Genesis, there are people out there, there are ministries out there like Answers in Genesis. Who, who constructed this giant life-size replica of Noah's Ark, who have done some inc incredible thinking about how this could actually be possible. So if you kind of read this and you think, yeah, right, how in the world are you expecting me to believe that Noah got some of every kind of creature on that ark for a whole year with all that food? If you read that kind of thing and you have inside of you faith-shaking doubt and questions. 
You need to know that there are people out there who have dedicated their lives and ministries to thinking through carefully how this could have happened. Right? So it, it's sort of like saying, okay, God said he did it this way. Now, how might have that worked out practically with biblical worldview glasses on, right? So instead of just dismissing it out of hand as impossible, thinking, how could this have happened? And these resources are literally at our fingertips through the internet. Right? So if, if you have questions about that kind of thing, I would encourage you to seek that out, and you can even come to me. I would love to help you to seek out answers for those kinds of questions. You don't have to check your brains at the door and pretend like that's not a hard question uh, when you study the Bible. Where God calls, he empowers, and as impossible as this sounds to us, God was able to bring it about. And then fourthly, uh, as we come to the end of our passage for this morning, we can just kind of look and see that, that it's amazing that Noah hears all of this and he simply believes it and obeys in faith. Look at verse 22. It says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He did it. Right? It's, it's amazing, actually, how little we hear from Noah throughout the story. Right? I, I mean, we don't hear Noah saying, oh, you know, wow, a, a flood. Well, maybe I'll just build my house up on top of the mountain. Right? Or maybe I'll, I'll dig a, a flood shelter. No, Noah hears God's warning. He hears God's instructions. And he simply believes it and he simply obeys it. And he obeys all of it. He doesn't leave any part of God's instructions undone. So I think the, the lessons here for us this morning are, are many. But let me just share with you two specific ones. First, we should all be preppers, right? We should all be preppers. Jesus himself warned that one day he would return to the earth. Only this time he wasn't going to show up as a humble little baby in a manger to grow up as a, a servant of a, of a man to teach and to heal and, and that sort of thing. When, when Jesus returns, he will be majestic he will be glorious. He will be clothed in righteousness and power. If you want to read Revelation 19 sometime about Jesus, what Jesus will look like when he returns. He'll be surrounded by the hosts of heavens. And when he comes, it will be time for judgment and the end of all things. So let the warning of God sound from my lips Again this morning, Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, the whole world will be judged by him. It says in Philippians chapter 2 in the New Testament that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God has determined that the whole world will be judged by this one man, Jesus Christ. Not by Buddha, not by Muhammad, not by fill in the blank, not by your boss, not by your friends, right? The whole world will, will bow the knee and have to answer to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord 
of all. I want to ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know the one who will one day judge the whole earth? It's remarkable in the, in the book of, of Romans. It tells us that through Jesus Christ, through, through faith in him, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? And we can then look at our judge and instead of seeing our judge, we can see our Savior and our Redeemer. Do you know him? And perhaps more importantly, does he know you? Right? There will be many on that day who, who cry out to him, Lord, Lord. But he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. The Lord has given very specific instructions about how to be saved. Just as he gave very specific instructions to Noah about how to prepare for the, the flood, he's given us very specific instructions about how to be saved from the coming wrath that's to come on all the earth. The Bible says very simply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Turn from your sins, turn from your idolatry, turn from your uh, wickedness, turn from trusting in yourself, and instead turn to the Lord Jesus and trust in him. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and then three days later, he rose again to, to newness of life in victory over the grave, over our sin, over death and unbelief. And the, the plan is simple, but it is very specific. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Very specific. You know, Jesus really is the true and better Noah. There are ways in which Noah reminds us of a Savior constructed an ark for the salvation of his household. He brought not only his own household, but some of the animals from all over the earth safely through God's wrath, through the deluge of water that destroyed everything. Reminds us of a, of a savior. In fact, when Noah was named at his birth, they, it was sort of prophesied over him that he would bring them relief so there are ways in which Noah is to remind us of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's sort of a type of Christ in this way. But Jesus is the true and better Noah. He is the fulfillment of everything that Noah is even reminding us of. Because the Lord Jesus Christ alone was, is righteous. If, if Noah was righteous and blameless in his generation, Jesus is the righteous one who, in obedience to his Father, made a way through the deluge of God's wrath that is coming so that we can be saved. Listen to, to Jesus' exhortation to all of us to be prepared for that day. In the book of Matthew, this is Jesus' words himself. Matthew chapter 24, starting in, in verse 36, he says this, 
But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's the connection with our story. As in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. This story is relevant to us today. There was a whole generation that was watching Noah prepare for the coming judgment, and they mocked him. They scorned him. They didn't listen to him. They didn't know that, that the, the judgment was coming. It, it says in, in verse 37, For as, it were, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Right? This, the, the warning it, it is real for us today that the Son of Man could return at any moment. And are you ready? Do you know Him? Do you believe in Him? Do you believe that He is returning? We should all be doomsday preppers in this regard. Not according to our own paranoias and fears, but according to the revealed will of God, the Word of God. He has determined not only once to destroy the world by water, but He's also the one who has determined in the end to judge with fire. Are you prepared? Secondly and, and finally, I want to exhort you that, that we should pray for one another. We should pray for one another to have the kind of faith and, and hope in God's promises that we see laid out as an example for us in the life of Noah. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're walking that long road of faith, to look to God's promises for hope and strength in your journey today. Listen to me, Christian. God has given you so many precious promises in His Word. And He who has promised to you will not fail you. He will not let you down. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, meaning Jesus, and that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. A fellow by the name of Mark Lederbach tells a story in his book, Chasing Infinity, Discipleship as the Pursuit of Infinite Treasure. He tells a story in that book that illustrates the power of hope. Power of hope. Let me just quote it to you here. It says, In 1957, a researcher by the name of Kurt P. Richter performed a series of experiments on rats. The project involved placing rats in enclosed jars of water, forcing them to swim until they drowned. It's a great test, isn't it? While by today's standards such experiments may be considered cruel, they led to the discovery of a fascinating fact that relates directly to our discussion. 
Namely, the scientists discovered that when a rat was simply caught and placed in the jar, it would swim for only a few minutes before it drowned. If, however, the researchers placed the rats in the water and then took them out for a little bit before they placed them back in the water, some of the rats could swim in excess of 60 hours. Isn't that amazing? It's the power of hope. And any correlation between the drowning of rats and the drowning we read in Genesis chapter 6 was purely coincidental this morning. What the researchers discovered was that if rats had hope, they were far more resilient and persevering. Hope brings resilience and perseverance. And the, the good news for us who are in Christ is that we have the greatest of all hopes. We have the greatest of all hopes, Christian. Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they might know this hope. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, here it comes, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. When, when you know the promises of God covenanted to you, promised to you through the blood of Jesus, when you know whose you are by faith, then you become, as Mark Lederbach says in his book, 10 feet tall, bulletproof. And I think, I was thinking about that long and hard, and I, I was debating whether or not to share that with you, because I didn't want you to, to take that to mean that we somehow become mighty in ourselves. But I think what he means by this is that, not that we're actually anything, but that God in and through us makes us giants in a sense, 10 feet tall and bulletproof, by faith. And in other words, God is calling us to live this impossible Christian life, and it seems so difficult, and it is. But when we realize whose we are by faith, He then walks with us and enables us to do things that we never thought we would be able to do. He enables people like Noah to build an ark for the salvation of his family and all the animals. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's not about Noah, it's not about us, it's about what God did in and through Noah by faith for his glory and his renown. So I think we can hear uh, afresh this morning the admonition of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and I'll close with this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Let's pray.